0: I am owned. I am under the complete authority. I have no will of my own. I don't even belong to myself. I belong to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen to me. See, from this humble position, he calls the church to trust him to listen to him because he's going to point them to Jesus Christ. He he calls them to say, if you're going to say you trust in Jesus, then you must act like you trust in Jesus. There is no room in James' letter for for the concept of cultural Christianity. There's no room for someone that says, I'm a believer, and then it has no outward expression. That there's no conduct in life that follows the proclamation. He's saying, don't be like so many other people that would say they believe this or that, but then functionally act as if they don't believe it at all. The, 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 the crazy thing about James, James' letter is that he assumes the gospel because he's writing to people who profess faith in Christ, but he then commands them to live like it every day, and every hour of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. See, instead of writing to people, seeking to evangelize them, he's writing to Christians and commanding them to conduct themselves in accordance with what they say they believe. In fact, in this letter, we are going to hear 54 commands in just 108 verses. 54 commands in just 108 verses. Now, I don't do math, but you could do the math. The ratio is pretty high. 50% maybe, 50% of every verse is going to have a, a command in it. He doesn't explain them a lot. He doesn't expound. He doesn't give a lot of of superfluous instruction. He just gives the command based on the fact that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. That's enough. But he's not a hypocrite that says it and then does something else. He sees himself. He identifies himself at the very core as a slave to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, how desperately we need to hear this today. And we live in a time where to be to be Christian requires everything but the one thing the Bible teaches us that it takes to be Christian: faith. Oh, I'm Christian. I, I got baptized when I was a kid. I, I'm Christian. I go to the church on the corner. I'm I'm Christian because my parents were. And yet, there's no faith. We live in a city still, and this is changing, but we live in a city where cultural Christianity is the norm. There's actually still benefit for people in their business life and in their dealings in our city to claim Christianity, to get up on a Sunday morning and go to church, even, there, even though there's no real faith in the, in the God that they would proclaim. But we live in a world where it's becoming increasingly different or increasingly difficult to profess your faith out loud and not be ridiculed. These two contrasting realities, these two contrasting realities make it increasingly important for us to know. To, to put a stake in the ground today, to, to, to decide today that because I'm a Christian, I'm going to live like a Christian. But how do I do that? Well, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. You might as well count yourself as one of those. Even though doctrinally, theologically, you may not feel comfortable with that. We're in that line. We've been grafted in. Greetings. Greetings. Glad you're here. And then he jumps right in. Very first words, and he commands. Count it all joy, my brothers. Isn't that a great way to start a letter like, yeah, we're going to start on a high note. We're going to get to celebrate. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Uh, wait a minute. Is that what we're talking about? Is that what we're going to deal with today? Trials? of Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> but I appreciate the conversation. He deals, he starts with the trials that we face, or or that we deal with because of our faith in Christ. I I would summarize this passage this way. This is kind of the point we're going to build out. Christian, count it all joy. We do not face trials in vain, but look beyond the trial for what we become through the trial. We do not face trials in vain. There is something more happening. There is a, 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 a place on the other side of the trial that we end up that's much better than where we are today. And some people suggest that James starts here because these people were suffering so intently. And I guess it's possible. Certainly in the time frame in which they lived, persecution was, was not unheard of. I think it's far enough past the the persecution that happened in Jerusalem that this is probably more just living a life inside of a pagan world, uh, professing faith in Jesus Christ and not going along with the norm. There are places in this, in this letter where he's going to hint at some of the struggles that they deal with, some of the oppression, some of the false accusations and things like that. But it doesn't appear that there's some specific place in history that we could point at that James is writing about some specific persecution they're facing. Rather, he's generally dealing with the reality that with when we live Christian lives in a non-Christian world, we run into problems. We run into difficulty. We face trials. It's as natural as, as getting tired or breathing heavy after running a mile, right? Do we face trials? I don't know. Does the Pope wear a funny hat? Yeah, he does. Does a one-legged duck swim in circles? Yep, he does. Do we face trials? Yes, we do. It's, it's as natural as taking a breath, as eating a meal. It's the reality. We can trace it all the way back to the, to the Garden of Eden. God had created everything. Peace, joy, contentment, it, it, abundance. It, it, it ruled. It was the rule of the day. Until the serpent enters the garden, tempts Eve, and, and then gives Adam the fruit to eat also. In that moment that the serpent is tempting Eve, he is challenging her with the perspective that maybe you don't have all you need. God's withholding something that would make you better. And at the moment of their sin, everything begins to spiral. They realize they're naked. That's the first thing that happens. They realize they're naked. And instead of being without shame, they're filled with shame. They want to cover up, so they, they, they got nothing. Look around here. We got some leaves. Okay, well, let's do it out of leaves. They, they hear God, and they go and run and hide from him. He calls them out. They confess their sin, and then he pronounces a curse. And that curse is filled with trouble, trials of various kinds, if you will, spiritual trouble. As God is bringing the curse and he's speaking to the serpent, he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between her, her offspring and you. The reality is, is that there there is going to be spiritual trouble, a spiritual war was started in that moment and God's the one that did it. He fired the first shot. He said, I'm putting the enmity there. I'm starting this battle. And we become an object of derision against Satan and demons. There's interpersonal trouble. The relationships that they would would live in that would be necessary for them. Remember, it was not good that the man was alone. This necessary relationship would suddenly become tense and difficult as they lived together in division there would be trouble in creation. Women are going to suffer pain, great pain in childbearing. And when men go out to work the ground, there's going to be thorns and thistles instead of the abundance of fruit that would be provided. And maybe most importantly, that we would see that we would have trouble with God. They would be removed from the garden And we would become objects of wrath. In fact, Paul later says in Ephesians chapter 2, before Christ, we were by very nature children of wrath. So the realities of these trials, they don't stop at the garden. They don't stop with Adam and Eve. That You can see them painted across every page of the scripture. Every story in the Bible has some ounce of trial and problem associated with it. Every story in the Bible highlights the fact that we live in a broken, sin-sick world. And it didn't stop once the Bible was being finished written being written. It didn't stop at the days of James and this early church. The, The troubles, the trials of various kinds continue to roll out against us. They aren't the only ones to suffer. We all do. Having been born into the line of Adam, we endure the curse against sin because of his sin and our own. So today, just today, just consider. There's really three avenues by which we face Trials, suffering, difficulty its a result of our own sin. Our sin, our willful decisions to rebel against God, our sin nature gives way to negative consequences. It should. It's right that it should. It bears things out that are difficult for us to deal with. It might be pleasant for a moment, but that doesn't last. Reality eventually follows and trouble comes. We suffer trials of various kinds as the direct result of someone else's sin. Just consider that. You don't have to sin to get, in, to, to get into a mess of trouble, do you? Somebody else sins and suddenly you're in a mess of trouble. See, our sin, it's not just about us facing trouble. Our sin hurts everybody else. Our sin causes pain beyond us. So we suffer as a direct result of our own sin. We suffer as a direct result of someone else's sin. And we suffer and face trials as the indirect result of living in a world under the curse of sin. You see, just consider this. So there's a blind man that, uh, as Jesus and his disciples walking out of the temple, there's a blind man. The question comes up, well, who sinned? His, him or his parents? Is, it, is his blindness the direct result of his sin or the result of someone else's sin? And she says, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. The reality of his blindness is the fact that he lives in a sin-sick world. But then he pushes a little bit further. He, then the point of what he's saying is this. He suffered blindness so that the glory of God could be demonstrated. The reality is, is that him living in a sin-sick world was the cause of his suffering so that God could be glorified by him so that Jesus would cross his path at that moment, open his eyes that he might see, and make his name famous. See, we all face trials of various kinds. This is not a particularly Christian issue. Everyone does. But what's particularly Christian is what we're called to do in light of it how we're called to a very unique response. Christian, count it all joy. We do not face trials in vain, but look beyond the trial for what we become through the trial. He says count it, consider it, is, a, is a, another way we could say it. He's telling us to, to look at difficulty in this life and willfully, purposefully, intentionally decide to count it all joy. Well, that's a whole lot easier to say than to do, right? This is the first of the 54 commands, and he starts here. Well, he's setting the bar kind of high. Take control of your emotions. Take take control of your perspectives. Take control of your thoughts. Exercise some self-control. And when you face these trials, count it all joy that you're in a trial. He doesn't just say a little bit of joy. He doesn't just say if you can. He doesn't qualify. He just says all joy. Now, we've had time. We've had plenty of time. Probably this is not the first time you've heard this passage, especially we used it some as we were working through the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've been in church for long, you've likely heard this passage before. So we've had time to kind of acclimate ourselves to these words. We're not necessarily surprised by these words, but imagine being a people who are first hearing these words. This is not how we expect to be told to react to the difficulties of life. This is not how we're told that we should be. This is not what we talk about to one another. How? What is going on? You might say, James is out of touch with reality. Something's off with him. I'd suggest, knowing James and where he was at, that he actually was more in touch with the reality of things than we often are. You you might say, well, he doesn't understand what it's like to live today. I suggest he understands what it's like to be under trials, face trials of various kinds in ways we don't even, can't even fathom. He likely was present or nearby when Stephen stoned. You see, it's easy to read these stories and disconnect from them and not think about the, the realities of what's going on around them. James was a leader in the church when Paul was seeking to destroy it. When he was going into people's houses and dragging them out and putting them in prison, James was leading these people. He cared so deeply for these people that he would go into the temple facing persecution, facing the risk of Jews coming against him because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He would go into the temple and he'd get on his knees and he'd pray for their forgiveness. Tell me he doesn't understand trials. The reality is, as his story is told, and you can look at this in history, it doesn't tell us clearly what happens to him in the Bible, but as his story is told in history, he was martyred for his faith. The Sanhedrin, the, the rulers in Jerusalem had decided, let's bring him in, let's get him to denounce Christ in front of everybody, and, and, and then you know, that, that testimony will carry its weight and it will undo the work that he's been doing. They bring him in. He will not deny Christ. Instead, he stands in front of Jerusalem, in front of the city, at the temple, and he professes Christ as Lord. And so they throw him from the summit of the temple and they beat him until he's dead. Tell me he doesn't understand trials and how difficult it is to live in a non-Christian world. I mean, we face a little bit of rejection if somebody doesn't like Jesus. And the testimony of his life is that he was counting it all joy to face trials of various kinds because he knew what those trials would do. And in fact, I'm going to suggest that they had been doing, him, doing them in his life so that when he stood under the greatest test of his faith, he didn't cower. But at the cost of his own life, he professed faith in Christ. Christ. Well, what are these trials of various kinds? Well, immediately we can talk about persecution. We, you know, that's kind of the testimony that I've kind of alluded to here. Some people would suggest that, that we would need to limit it to persecution. Some would suggest that we need to limit it to the, the specific issues that he raises, the slander, the, the, the social persecution, the being taken advantage of financially uh, that, that he addresses in this letter, some poverty I think that James is purposefully, intentionally general in his wording here. Trials of various kinds. What trial are you facing? So, in kids' way... One of the uh, lessons that they've been learning, or actually a, a lesson they've been learning over these last several weeks, as they've studied the book of Exodus and the, and the actual Exodus from Israel, as God delivered the or from Egypt, as God delivered the Israelites from Egypt. One of the lessons that they've been been bringing home to them every week is that God does everything for His for His glory and our good, and they've been bringing that home. Every week. And so Amy, my wife, was talking to one of the, one of the kids of, in kids' way and, and, and they're like, oh, so you're telling me that God was in it for his glory and our good when I was barfing out my lung? I know that's probably not table talk, but we're not at the table right now. We're dealing with the real things of life. My answer to that is absolutely yes. I'll just tell you this. There is no time in my, well, there's a few times in my life, but there's few times in my life that I long for the return of Jesus more than when I'm barfing out alone. You think about it. When the drunk man's hanging over the toilet, promising to never do it again, who are they talking to? You think about it. This is real. When I'm sick, when I'm hurting, I, I'm forced to recognize that I am incomplete, that I am needy, that I am dependent, that things in this world are wrong. Yes! It is for our good to recognize our absolute dependence. It's absolutely for our good to look around at this world and realize that it is broken. So when we find ourselves helpless and and find ourselves facing accidents and sick and in poverty, dealing with anxiety. Yes! It is for our good and for the glory of God because it forces us to realize that this is not what he intends it to be. But he has offered something better. In fact, the very reason that James gives, the very reason that James gives, shows us something better. Is he doesn't count, call us to count it all joy because, well, suffering is ah, oh, that's just nothing; it's not a big deal. He doesn't count count it all joy so that we can deal with suffering flippantly. He doesn't call us to count it all joy because we look at it. Blindly, he isn't celebrating. He isn't calling us to celebrate injustice. He's not even telling us to look at the trial and not be the source of our joy. And I would suggest his point is not that the trials of life are the source of our joy, but the source of our joy is what God does through the various trials that we face. He's telling us that there is a greater purpose. That there is great. Gain that God is doing a powerful work. You do not suffer in vain, Christian. So look beyond the trial to what you will become through the trial. When we begin to see that, that's where we begin to see that we can count it all joy. He tells us specifically. Count it all joy because trials of various kinds test our faith. It means they prove our faith. It's the idea here is that it's demonstrating that these, these trials of various kinds test our faith. They prove our faith. The idea here is, is it's proving it genuine or false. There's this perspective here that that, that James was surrounded by people who would profess faith and then it would do nothing in their lives. It would change nothing about their conduct. It would do nothing in day-to-day life for them. And he's saying that proves it false. Count it all joy, my brothers, because these trials prove your faith to be true. The reality is when you stop and slow down and think about this, is this should provide for us some great amount of assurance. If I face difficulty, and I won't go into my story now, but, I, but if you've heard my story, it's not always been easy. I've faced a fair amount of difficulty in my life. And I run to God. And I press into Him deeply, and depend upon Him more and more. What does that say about what I believe? But if I run from God, If I question whether God cares for me or loves me or if he's forgotten me, what does that say about what I believe? See, these trials actually prove out our faith as genuine or not genuine. James tells us trials of various kinds prove our faith. So rather than doubting God, trust God in your trials. It is our tendency when, when something horrific happens, where's God in that? Think about the tragedies that we've faced as a nation. Where were cries of, where was God when the planes flew into the buildings? Where was God when these difficult things happened? A little more personally, when the difficulty we face goes long. Like it doesn't just happen in last for a week I get past my sickness and I get up and I go back to work and life goes back to normal but when it goes for a year or two or three or ten where do we run who do we lean into who do we call out on You see, these trials, they prove our faith. And if we see ourselves consistently, constantly, regularly going back to the Father, the the creator of all things, the God who loved us enough that, that not only did he create us, but he chose to save us. If we find ourselves calling out for his mercy, leaning and depending upon him, be assured your faith is genuine. On the other hand, if your trials are proving that you're not leaning into God, that you're not trusting in his grace and his mercy, you're not looking to his love, his justice, his power, his presence, and his provision for you, then that's actually a really good place to be. Because it's at that moment that you can repent of that sin and begin to trust. And then begin to count it all joy. Because he has purpose for you, even in and through your trials. You are not suffering these various trials in vain. Trials of various kinds prove our faith. Trials of various kinds strengthen our faith. They strengthen us. When we first come to Christ, when we first come to trust Jesus, we're like infants, we're, we're like babies. Our faith is weak, it's little, it's small. And James tells us here, it doesn't just test our faith or prove our faith, it produces steadfastness. It it strengthens, it grows strong, it gains itself in endurance. The first time you go out to run a mile, it takes you a little bit, right? The longer you run a mile, the more often you run a mile, the better you get at running a mile. You get greater levels of endurance. These trials and standing firm in them strengthens our endurance. Just consider the apostles for a second. Maybe you don't know the whole story of every one of their lives, but the reality is that when Jesus met them, he called them to follow him, and what did they do? They left their life and they followed him. The fishermen, they dropped their nets and they followed him. Matthew, the tax collector, got up from his his tax collecting booth and he followed Jesus. This is what they did. And from our perspective, it's like, wow, that's a lot of faith. Well, it seems like it. Until they're sitting in a boat in the middle of a storm out on the sea. And they're scared they're going to die. Now, this isn't the first time they'd seen Jesus, they'd seen Jesus work miracles. They'd seen some pretty powerful, amazing things happen. And here they are in this boat. Waves are rocking. The wind is blowing. And they're afraid. They're screaming, we're going to die. They wake Jesus up, which is pretty amazing. He's asleep in the boat. Like, that's a heavy sleeper. That guy trusts his father. He is faithful. Sleeping in the storm. They wake him up. We're going to die. What was his response? Where is your faith? Or some translations, O you of little faith. When Jesus is arrested, then tried and crucified, what do they do? They run and they hide and they're scared to death. What changes? How is it that the the church took off? How is it that 3,000 people come to believe one day Peter's found preaching the gospel in the public square? Stephen's willing to die change was they had met the risen lord they had been filled by god with his holy spirit you see the reality is these trials they strengthen us they strengthen our faith as we walk with god and we take the steps that he calls us to because he meets us there and he grows us see trials of very various kinds they strengthen our faith so rather than seeking to escape your trials Endure them. Rather than looking to avoid your trials, endure them. I mean, that's often the way we deal with it, right? What I'm about to say, I don't want you to think we shouldn't be praying for the things we pray for. But as soon as we face trouble, what's the first thing we start to pray about? Remove this from me. Right? I don't I don't I don't want to presume to know the way every one of you pray, and so I want to be very careful as I say this. But is it our regular practice to look at God as we face the trial and say, Be glorified in me? No, I don't think so. Well, maybe you're more mature than I am. Let me just speak for myself. I can tell you that's not usually where I start. The first sign of trouble. Man, I need you praying for me. I gotta get out of this. I need a way out. I need him to take this from me. Imagine going to the gym. Actually, you don't even got to go to the gym for this. Let's just work out. I'll go ahead and do some curls. Why don't you why, why, why don't you guys do some, I don't know, what do you call the military press? There we go, you know? Right, we're working out. Getting strong, getting fit. we're missing the resistance that strengthens us. The trials of this life are the resistance that God puts on us that strengthen our faith. As we walk in faith, regardless of what we face, Our faith gets stronger. And I can promise you this, not because I think it's so, but because my God has proven it to be so. He has promised to be with us every step of the way to never leave us or forsake us. The reason we don't experience him often is because rather rather than meeting him in the trials we face, we're running away trying to find a way away from them. You see, there's a nuance here in this whole passage that you've got to see. It kind of competes with my, it overrides. It doesn't just compete. It totally destroys some of my outline. Because it's not just the trials that do the work. It's the endurance in the trial that does the work. He says, listen to it again. He says, testing your various trials for you know that the testing of your faith, the proving of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness, that's the endurance in, that's the continual pressing into God in faith in the midst of the trial, that is going to have a full effect. That's going to produce something glorious on the other side. The reason many times we're not growing and not even able to understand how we're to count it all joy is because of rather than stepping in and enduring the trial, we're simply asking God to take it away from us. We're looking for God to make our life easy Rather than for God to make us more like Him. And hear me when I say this. I know the stories of the people I'm praying for in the midst of your trial. I am not saying this flippantly, and I'm not even trying to confront you as if you have, in some way, not pressed into Him. I am just wanting you to hear the reality. God has not forgotten you. There's no reason to doubt Him. He didn't make an accident when this thing came at you. There's no reason to run from it, to doubt Him or to blame Him, to seek to escape it or avoid it. Our faith matures. It grows stronger as it endures trials of various Kinds. Mary and Martha knew Jesus could heal the sick. And so after their brother had died, how did they greet Jesus? If you had just been here. They'd seen that kind of trial. They'd seen Jesus meet them in that kind of trial. If you had just been here, you could have healed them. It was another kind of trial. See what they got to see him do next. When their brother had been dead in the grave for for four days. Come out Lazarus. Who would have expected a dead man to get up and walk out of a grave. You see God gives us these various trials to strengthen our faith in various ways. It's not just curls we're doing. It's not just legs. It's a full faith workout. He's growing us. Disciples that have been made are matured through this. Our faith is grown stronger because of this. Trials of various kinds prove our faith. Trials of various kinds strengthen our faith. And trials of various kinds endurance in trials of various kinds. Refine our faith. As much as we like to say we believe. And even as we can see the fruit of our faith being played out in our life. There is a reality. That we wrestle with unbelief. We wrestle. With not believing fully. James is going to deal with this in the, in the verses that come. About people who. Pray in, with faith and pray in doubt. But he says that these trials that have proven our faith, that we endure in, when that endurance, when that steadfastness, when that strengthening has had its full effect, we are made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now that sounds pretty good. Who doesn't want to be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing? Who doesn't want to be there? Who doesn't want to know that we have it all, that we're finally fully satisfied, that we're able to enjoy life the way God intended it? The word literally that, that we're complete, that we're made complete, is, it literally translates as perfect. We're perfected. The trials of our life, and as we endure in them, are intended perfect us. They refine our faith. They remove the impurities from it, the the unbelief. It's pulled away. It's, It's drained away. It's burned off. The little doubts that creep up, the longer we believe, the harder we endure, they fade. The questions of whether God is truly able to save us or not, burned off. The anxiety we feel when He doesn't act the way we would expect Him to act or doesn't answer the request the way we would want Him to, to, to answer loses any power. Time and endurance in trials slowly but surely removes the impurities in our faith and leads us to be complete, lacking in nothing trials of various kinds Enduring the trials of various kinds refine our faith so rather than only seeing your trials look to the joy that's on the other side for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross despising its shame Look at what God is going to do. Look at what God is in the work of accomplishing or in the process of accomplishing. And if you need to hear it from some different perspective, I think you, it would be helpful for you to hear it from different perspectives. Let me just share a couple of passages with you. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 9, this church is scattered. It's the same people that, that, that James is writing to. By this time, there are Gentiles associated as well. The, the gospel has gone beyond the Jews, and now they are, the, these scattered churches are mixed between Gentiles and Jews. He writes this, In this you rejoice. Now that refers back to the gospel presentation that he starts his letter with. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Sound familiar? He's writing to the same people in the same circumstances. So that the tested genuineness, that's the same word that, Peter, or that James used, so that, the same, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is that, hey, you're rejoicing in the gospel, even though right now you have to face all kinds of trials. All kinds of difficulties. And when this proves true, the work that it will do is enable you when you see Jesus to praise him, to bring glory and honor to him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Does that sound like somebody you know? These aren't eyewitnesses to the resurrection. These are people a lot like you, a lot like me. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Even though you're facing trials of various kinds. Why? Because you're obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You are safe and secure in Jesus and there's no difficulty. There's no trial your you'll face in this life that will that, that, that will make that untrue. In fact, those trials are used to prove it true. You are His. You belong to Him. No one, no thing, no circumstance can change that. You are safe in Christ. Paul writing to the church in Romans. Romans eight twenty-eight through 30 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Not all good things. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew he also predestined. For what? To be conformed to the image of his son. He is using everything in your life. To make you more like Jesus. (laughs) Believe it or not. He has predestined you for this purpose. That you might look like his son. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You know what glorified is? Complete, lacking And nothing. If you ever need to know why. You're facing the trial that you're facing. If you're ever in that place that you're doubting God. Thinking he's forgotten you. Remember this. Count it all joy. Take your eyes off the struggle. And look at what God is doing. He is moving you from a position of being impoverished to being satisfied. He is alleviating you from being destitute and putting you in a place of abundance. He has found you. He has met you in the depths of your depravity, but he has not left you there. He has saved you, and he is polishing out his image in you. He is making you complete and lacking in nothing. I think that's what we all want. So what will we do? Count it all joy. As we face trials of various kinds. Knowing that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And when steadfastness has its full effect. We'll have everything our hearts desire. Our God And our Savior will be standing there and we will be in his presence, never to be separated from him, living in the abundance of his presence. Let's pray.